today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, we touched briefly on uh, the U.S. midterm elections uh, in the last segment, uh, but we want to bore down a little bit more into this because of the implications uh, of what could be happening tonight. And again, in many pundits' minds, this is still very much up in the air. Joining us to talk about this is Melissa Hausman, who is a professor in the Department of Political Science at uh, Carleton University. Melissa, thank you so much for uh, your time on a very busy day today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Some, you know, I've heard, and I'm probably sure you have too, some people saying, oh, this is Canada, that's the United States. Why should we pay any attention to what goes on in their, their political arena? But I, I guess the short answer to that is, well, like it or not, we're tied to the hip to the United States in very many ways. That's true. And frankly, what happens today if the House goes majority Democratic and to me equally, if not more importantly, if the majority of governorships go Democratic, those have a lot of implications for what happens in the 2020 elections and actually the 2022 elections for Congress. Look, talk to me about the gubernatorial races, Melissa, because it's not getting a whole lot of attention. Uh, and, and you've raised a very interesting point in, the, in the, the, the larger scale of things, how important that is to have that, that kind of balance, because the Democrats really got kicked around in gubernatorial elections over the last couple of elections. Right. Uh, the Republicans have held the majority of governorships for quite some time. And as we know, after 2016, the Republicans controlled the state legislatures in the South for the first time ever. So that was a big historic shift. The reason the gubernatorial elections are so important, and if the majority does go to the Democrats for the first time in a while, the states are the ones that draw the House districts. And so if they could hold on to those governorships in 2020, then the governors are in the position to sign off on or veto and and also, of course, help appoint the members of these redistricting commissions. And those would be felt in the 2022 House elections. So that is hugely important. Now, we just went through uh, on a very local level here in Hamilton, of course, ward redistribution in our last municipal election, and, and it was contentious, to say the least. But it's it's almost it's almost part of the political scenery down in the states, isn't it, Melissa, that they redraw these? Now, some people want to use the word gerrymandering, and that's a pretty ugly word. But they so they, they you know, it's it's a little more refined to simply say redraw the boundaries. But what they do, essentially, is redraw them to, to their own benefit, whoever political party, whichever political party is in charge. You're absolutely right. That's the case. And I should point out, I come from Massachusetts, which invented gerrymandering around the time of the Constitution. So it's a very old practice in the United States. And, you know, the district shape can be, frankly, bizarre as long as purportedly equal numbers of voters are spread out across them. And, yeah, it's been a huge cottage industry for lawyers bringing those things to the Supreme Court. It is a very contentious issue. Well, and they probably are should draw the lines in pencil because if somebody else takes over after the next election, they just say, yeah, yeah, that's not happening anymore. There, that, there, that's a good point. <laughs> there's another, <laughs> another element here that uh, that was a, a big deal during the Obama administration in, in those two elections uh, that I'm not hearing a whole lot about. But uh, while watching MSNBC last night, Rachel Maddow brought it up, uh, and it's about uh, voter suppression. Uh, and again, that's that's uh, some of the chicanery that goes on during election times where, uh, you know, they, they make it uh, almost impossible for people to actually vote, I guess, with the expectation that they're going to get frustrated and go home and not cast a ballot. Right. And again, it's a function of the states running the elections in the U.S. and not just the states, but, of course, the towns and the cities. So 
one can get away with an awful lot that one typically can't get away with in other in other systems. Um, and we know that already in two very high-profile states, um, Texas with Ted Cruz and uh, Georgia, where Stacey Abrams could be the first African-American governor there, uh, that there have been reports of votes somehow miraculously switching in the ballot box from Democrats to Republicans. Um, so that's that's quite bizarre. And it, it's very important to watch because, sure, we're, we've already seen record turnout in the early voting. But on the other hand, if the machines aren't recording them accurately, then you've got a real problem. And and that's the mishmash that I, I guess is is the political system here. As you say, it's a federal election, yet they're controlled by by local constituencies, and yes. and there's different voting methods in different states. Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, no method is perfect. And as we've seen throughout recent history since 2000, anybody who's determined to thwart the transparent working of the, of that system can in fact do so. The other thing that's interesting here is that California uses mail-in ballots, and of course we're going to be hearing from them towards the end. So that could potentially delay some of the reporting if all the ballots haven't been counted yet, if, if the House is close in terms of the number of seats to be changed. In other words, this is going to be a long night. It could well be, and unfortunately it could be even longer than one night. I mean, again, we don't think so right now, but there is that potential out there, depending on what happens in California. If there is a, I don't even know if I want to use the phrase blue wave, but let's just assume uh, we'll, we'll, we'll think that the Democrats do take over the House again. And, and you know, there's, there's some numbers that we can crunch here in a couple of seconds to determine whether or not that's going to happen. But l- let's talk about the impact that that would have. Uh, and I mentioned just in our preamble, uh, Melissa, well, for, for instance, the trade deal. Uh, the USMCA trade deal that is yet to be ratified. That's one of the first things the Congress, the new Congress, is going to have to do. Right. Uh, what would a Democratic uh, Congress look like as opposed to what we've had for the last couple of years? Well, I don't think it would actually be a, a problem for Canada because, again, it's likely that the Senate is going to stay Republican by the thin margin it has already been. So there could be more, say, um, statements against the trade deal and such but personally i don't i wouldn't expect any any grave harm or any grave issues to happen but again um lacking a crystal ball (laughs) somebody could try to bring something up i suppose but but i don't really see that being undone I, i think that's on track to pass well one of the other twists i found interesting uh a couple of the democratic contenders that were running uh were questioning uh during the last session of congress uh, Trump's uh, authority to actually impose tariffs. Of course, he used the, the you know the the specter of uh, national security to oppose the steel and aluminum tariffs in, on Canada and Mexico and a, and a couple of other countries as well. But is there a possibility that uh, that there could be a pushback from a Democratic Congress that says that's not your job, that's our job? There could be, but again, typically that would have to involve the Senate as well and. Um if we assume the Senate stays the party that it is, I don't see much change on that. Um, and, you know, there is some some authority there, and there is some history in terms of what kind of tariff it is for the executive branch to act in the way it does. I mean, there is some some wiggle room there for the executive. Yeah, and that would be a long, drawn-out court battle, I would think, even if well, they tried to do something like that. For sure. 
The other thing, and, and the uh, the elephant in the room, uh, if, if I could use that expression, uh, that not too many people have talked about over the last little while, of course, is the Mueller investigation. I think people seem to have forgotten about that, but it is still ongoing. Oh, yeah. uh, and my understanding, Melissa, is that they're expecting to have a, a final report, I would think, from uh, Robert Mueller probably before the end of the year. Uh, talk to us about the impact that the Democratic Congress would have once that report is received. Right. Well, we know that some Democrats are pledging to push forth with a rather aggressive uh, type of questioning. Um Unfortunately, at the moment, I don't think we have a whole lot of information on what might happen, but assuming the Mueller report is damaging to the president and some of those around him, that would certainly be a factor to, uh, let's say, put the president and those around him on notice. So it could be disquieting for them. The uh, the talk of impeachment has really died down. Is, is that a strategy by the Democrats to just kind of lay low and, and not try to rile people up? Well, here's the thing that's important to know. Impeachment in this day and age, I mean, yes, it probably meant something back when Andrew Johnson was impeached, you know, at the end of the Civil War. But in this day and age, it really doesn't mean a whole lot because presidents just carry on as they can because of their political capital and their their staffs, etc., uh, an impeachment vote is only half of the process, and the Senate has never in the U.S. history convicted a sitting president. So that second piece has to happen in order to get rid of a president. So, frankly, I don't think impeachment, even if, if the House were to do it, would mean a whole lot for President Trump. It's almost symbolic then, isn't it? Exactly. Without that second part of the process, it is very symbolic. And and there's no way. I mean, you know, go back to the Bill Clinton example. I mean, he was obviously impeached by the Congress at that time. By the House, yeah. Yeah, but it died in the Senate. Yes, exactly. And and, and he so, carried and he carried on. And as if I recall, he yeah. had he had about a sixty eight percent approval rating while that was going on. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody was actually going to jump all over him as a result of that. So right. well, maybe that's one of the reasons why this has died down. But they can certainly make uh, life uncomfortable for the Trump administration if, they, in fact, they do find in the Mueller report that there was some uh, political wrongdoing going on. Yes, and financial wrongdoing. And we know that some in the House are talking about re-raising the emoluments clause issue about the current president profiting from deals with his hotels and all that sort of stuff. So, sure, they can distract him. Um, and make life difficult for him. That could certainly be the case. Somebody was asking me, I just got an email about this the other day, uh, about foreign and international uh, responsibilities, and specifically about NATO, because Trump's been pretty rough on NATO uh, in the last couple of meetings. And and he wondered if the Congress changing uh, from from Republican to Democrat would have much of an impact. But by and large, foreign uh, issues and, and international issues are, are not the, the purview of the Congress, are they? Well, in and of the, in the sense that they are, it's much more the Senate. The House is considered to be much more domestically focused. Yeah. And again, if the Senate stays, then no change at all. And, and obviously, some of the things that have gone on with uh, with Trump's demands for NATO, et cetera, that's that's something that's going to have to be done. Uh, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, obviously, is is the one yeah. that would have some purview of that. And it looks as if everything's probably going to stay the same there. It looks the same, yes. What about a stalemate circumstance here, Melissa? I mean, if you have a Democratic uh, uh, House of Representatives and a, and a Republican Senate, 
that sort of thing oftentimes can lead to paralyzation when it comes to legislation that's being passed. Uh, and it, it's ironic because Trump has already blamed the Democrats for everything that did not happen that he promised <laughs> two years ago. Yet the Republicans had the majority in both houses. Then that change, uh, there could be a real stalemate and, and a real logjam of legislation if that occurs. Right. And of course, the thing that's interesting about the U.S. system with the House, Senate and president is that typically you have at least two of those institutions being of opposite parties. So it's really been the case more often than not, say, since about the 1980s, that at least one of those institutions is of the other party. So, yeah, paralysis is unfortunately um, part of the game. The other thing is, of course, that the Republican-dominated Congress, you know, once both houses switched to Republican, refused to act on Obama's Supreme Court nominations, mm -hmm. refused to act on his immigration proposals. So paralysis really doesn't depend on which which party. Um, it can actually it, it's it's a function of wit of the use of political tactics and whether the the leadership in the House and the Senate are willing to do anything. So. Sure, the House could maybe slow things down, but on the other hand, um, Trump hasn't been getting a whole lot through Congress. He hasn't. He doesn't seem to have been in, so interested in working with him. He's just kind of ignored them and been doing things by executive fiat, which you know works as long as he's president. But the minute he's out of office, the next president can undo the executive orders. If there is a change uh, tonight and, and the Democrats take over the House, obviously we've been used to Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House, as the Republican, uh, the lead Republican in situations. Ryan isn't even running again. No. Uh, but if the Democrats in there, is it a, a, a safe assumption that Chuck Schumer would be the guy uh, in a situation? I mean, he's a senator, I guess. I'm say, but who, right. who, who's, who's, where's the leadership coming from then from if the Democrats take over? Well, it's likely to be Nancy Pelosi again. Again? I know that there are some folks who would like to topple her, but... In terms of what the the party leader is there to do, particularly in terms of raising money for candidates of her party, she has been stellar and phenomenal. So it would be very hard for some Democrats in the House to make the case that she should be shelved or pushed aside. I know there are younger, newer folks who would like to do that, but she has done an awful lot for her party members in that house. So that would be an interesting fight and we can expect that to happen, but I would I would assume she would win that fight. Well, and and those discussions are probably going are going on as we speak or they probably well, yeah. already have. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the political, uh, you know, you know, machinations that are going yeah. on are, are decided long before that. There's there's politics within politics, isn't there? Always. So talk to us about about how Trump will respond to this. Uh, I mean, we've already heard some of the, the rumblings uh, from some of the rallies that uh, the president has gone on, that he's already talking about the election possibly being rigged, and we heard that two years ago. Uh, even yesterday, Rush Limbaugh still uh, maintains that Hillary Clinton rigged the last election, uh, which finds somewhat amazing. I, she rigged it so she could lose. I'm, I'm not quite sure where Limbaugh's coming from on this. But, yeah, but how do you rig something to lose? Yeah, I, I well, I'm not quite sure, but obviously he got a big ovation from the crowd when he said that, so it, it, it resonates with them. But but obviously, you know, when the dust settles on this, I mean, the president's going to have to deal with a new circumstance here. Yes, yes, he will. Um, and and you're right. He, I think his rather desperate tactics over the last week or so and the last few days have really shown that he is aware he's 
likely to lose the house. That that very um, horrible ad that they've been running about, you know, supposedly the Democrats letting all these, um, you know, criminals in and all that sort of stuff, which, of course, the networks have pulled. And yes, they're the statements of both Trump and Sessions about their voter fraud. Well, you know, the only voter fraud we've seen so far is with example, Texas and Georgia. Yeah, Texas and Georgia. And those are Democratic votes being changed over to Republican ones. So show us where the Democratic fraud is happening, because nobody's seen it. You mentioned Jeff Sessions, Melissa. Let's talk a little bit about his future. Uh, so there's <laughs> lots of speculation that, that as soon as this midterm election season is over, uh, that session gets deep six. That the president's run out of patience with him. I think he probably ran out of patience about a year and a half or so ago with him. But it didn't seem to be optically prudent for him to do anything about it. Does this basically give him uh, the opportunity right now to, to shuffle people around and get rid of a few folks that he's not happy with? Oh, sure. I, he doesn't really seem to need any pretext. It's, it's, it's very strange with him. There's been a constant parade out of the, the West Wing. So, sure, if he wants to, if he decides one day that Sessions isn't doing what he wants, then he could start the the really sort of tacky process he uses, which is to start tweeting um, and all that about getting rid of somebody, even as, as that person is doing their own job and trying to carry out the president's wishes and demands. So, yes, there's speculation that a number of folks could be uh, on the hot seat. One just never knows. It it could be or it could be just speculation. It, it just depends on where Trump is at on a particular day. Well, it was widely accepted that Lindsey Graham was uh, was auditioning for the job during the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, if, in fact, they do pull the uh, the trap door, I guess, on Sessions, I think he'd love to get that gig. But this is an opportunity yeah. after this the midterms. Obviously, the, the next big goal uh, for both parties at this stage is going to be uh, the major election in two years. And now Trump has never stopped campaigning. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're going to see a whole lot of uh, a different strategy from his standpoint. But is he's? I guess if he's going to lose the House, I'm not so sure he's actually going to take that as a message from the American people. But it, will this actually lead him towards circling himself now with those that are going to be loyal to him? Yes, very likely. And not just if he loses the House. If he loses the majority of governorships, that's a double whammy, and I would think it would make him very insecure. Um, and that's, that's never a good thing with him. Um, he tends to lash out and behave badly. It's going to be interesting to see how he responds over the next couple of days, obviously, if the, these things go the way they are. What what should we look for tonight? For those of us that don't want to stay up till 3 in the morning, <laughs> which is usually when I get up to go to work anyway, so I may just, you know, when the thing's over, just shower and come right into the radio station here. But uh, are, are there bellwethers we can look for to say, aha, that, that's a trend right there? Like you, you, you know, we've all mentioned this idea of a blue wave. Uh, at what point in the evening will we be able to call this a wave or, or, or an indication that, yes, this is happening the way we thought it would? Well, I would say by 10 p.m. or so, we'll know at least the East Coast states and the Midwest states. One issue that's been raised is that California uses mail-in registration, and they've got a number of contentious House races. So theoretically, if the House were close, um, it could take a while. It could actually take days for California to count its mail-in ballots. But in terms of both the House and the governorships, we are expecting a lot of the pickup to come, um, you know, from east to west, from east and midwest. So I would say hopefully 
will have a sense by 10 p.m. But if there are big issues with how the vote, how the machines are being implemented, how the regulations are being done, and if we're seeing fraud and corruption there, then again, things could take a few days more to sort that out. So it really kind of depends how this all works out today and tonight. Well, uh, put on the coffee. It's going to be a long one, I think. exactly. Melissa, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate your perspective on this. Sure thing. I appreciate the time. Take care. That's uh, Melissa Hausman, of course, professor of political science up at Carleton University, originally, though, from Massachusetts, and uh, very much in tune with the U.S. political system. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.